today on CityCast Denver. Historic preservation can be difficult. Buildings deemed pretty tend to have a better chance of getting saved. But ugly ones, like the Denver 7 building on Spear? It's difficult because it's not pretty. The city council is set to decide the fate of that big reddish-brown building on Spear tonight. So we're looking past the facade of this tricky issue with a bona fide architecture critic. I would like all the members of Denver City Council to understand that this city is tearing itself apart. Today is Monday, May 10th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Let's take a look at the news. It's another dreary day in Denver with highs in the mid-40s and rain expected all day. In mask update news, restaurant workers may now be able to go maskless when serving patrons. But this can only happen if 85% of restaurant staff has been fully vaccinated. The rollout of this change is expected to be slow as restaurants determine the comfort levels of their employees and customers when it comes to things like mask wearing and the continuing vaccine rollout. A group of Park Hill residents have filed a lawsuit to block the Colorado Village Collaborative from setting up a safe outdoor space in their neighborhood. And as we reported last week, the space would provide shelter for some of our unhoused neighbors in the parking lot of the Park Hill United Methodist Church. The residents say, among other things, that they're worried about losing parking. Okay. Okay, so there's this building in Denver, and a lot of people think it's ugly. I guarantee you've seen it if you've ever driven through the intersection at Spear and Lincoln. To me, it kind of looks like a broken Lego, but it's octagonal. It's got this strange pinkish tint to it. You probably know it best as home to Denver 7 News. Tonight, we're doing something we don't do very often, reporting on ourselves, or at least the building we work in. So the company that owns Denver 7 wants to sell our plot here on Spear Boulevard and move our operation to a new spot in Denver. And it is sparking a debate about this building and whether it deserves to be saved from demolition. Denver 7 says they've outgrown the space and they want to sell. They'd get the best price from a developer who would tear it down and build something taller, bigger, and more modern looking. But then some local activists got involved. They applied to the city's Landmark Preservation Commission to get the building protected on the grounds that it is a significant piece of Denver's architectural history. Tonight, City Council is going to decide once and for all. Is the Denver 7 building just an eyesore or an eyesore worth saving? It's not just the usual gray concrete, but there's all that Colorado red rock crushed along there that it sparkles in the sun. We wanted to hear from someone who understands architecture. So I called up Mary Vols Chandler. She was a longtime arts and architecture critic for the Rocky Mountain News and has written guides to Denver's architecture. Mary will be speaking to city council tonight about why the Denver 7 building should be designated as a historical landmark and saved from demolition. Mary told us that the Denver 7 building is a really good example of an architectural movement called brutalism. When, when I grew up in St. Louis, there were some brutalist buildings and some were really, really fine. But it wasn't until I was in London and looked at the Barbican, woof. And I just, my, I was married and we looked at each other and both went, wow. And we were just sort of standing there like two goofballs from the U.S., you know, and really just loving it. But it 
just, I don't know, it offends some people. And I believe that because they don't know what to think about it. It's just different. Brutalism is characterized by structures made out of big slabs or molds of concrete, which is an idea that sounds like it came out of nowhere, but is deeply rooted in history. Brutalism began in, I guess, the 20s. And they were basically using concrete. There was very little decoration. It was very, very slick and very simple. It was sort of, you know, as opposed to the neoclassical, which had all sorts of doodads and beautiful things on there. But the international style was very streamlined. And that really took hold because it was different. It was modern. And after the First World War, people wanted things that were different. And then, of course, after World War II, they wanted to continue this modernism because it was a new world. I really believe that there's an evolution of style. And Denver needs to know all these different styles. But we're wiping them away. Another example of brutalism, NCAR, the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, designed by the one and only I.M. Pei. That's one of the best ever. And it hasn't been tinkered with. Denver City Council will decide the fate of the brutalist Denver 7 building tonight after hearing from people like Mary. Is it historic? Their decision will determine whether or not developers can pounce on the building and turn it into apartments. You know, I understand that developers have come into Denver from different states because there's this incredible boom of new people moving in. And I don't blame them for moving in here. It's a, It has been a really great city. But now it's starting to look like anywhere. And we're losing buildings that that can be, you know, just a little different. And you're not going to see it anywhere else. I just, I would like all the members of Denver City Council to understand that this city is tearing itself apart. I wish Denver had a higher belief in itself. On Friday, we brought you the story of Linda Rodriguez. Linda got a job at the Amazon warehouse in Thornton, and she says she was fired for speaking out against a lack of Spanish-language COVID safety communications. Since we published that story, we heard back from an Amazon spokesperson in response to our request for comment. I'll tell you that comment in a second, but first I think you should hear the specific questions we sent to Amazon. One. Is it true that Amazon did not provide masks to staff at the Amazon warehouse in Thornton, named Den 3, until May of 2020? Two, were there any procedures put in place to ensure physical distancing and sanitization inside Den 3 and other fulfillment centers after the pandemic began? What were those procedures and when were they implemented? Three, were any of Amazon's contact tracing efforts sent in Spanish to their employees? Four, were COVID safety instructions posted at Den3 made equally clear and present in Spanish? And five, do you have any other responses to the claims made by Linda Rodriguez in this lawsuit? And here's what the Amazon spokesperson wrote in response. The facts of this case are clear. 
Miss Rodriguez was terminated for time card fraud or time theft. On at least half a dozen occasions over a 10-day period, Miss Rodriguez clocked in and then either left the building or failed to report to her work assignment. When interviewed, with just one exception, Miss Rodriguez did not deny the allegations, nor was she able to justify them. These events were confirmed by time records, video evidence, and security badge scans. We'd love to hear from others who have worked in Amazon fulfillment centers around the Denver metro area. Are your experiences similar to Linda's? Let's talk about it. Send us an email at denver at citycast.fm. And finally, we asked for your memories of visiting Elish Gardens a couple of weeks ago, and we've been getting such fun responses from you all. Hey, Bree, this is Mike. And I was born and raised and grew up as a kid in Denver, going to the old Elishes in North Denver. Well, I have a lot of fond memories of the gum tree by the log ride and old wooden roller coasters like the Wildcat Twister and those shady picnic areas. This memory I'm about to share with you is from the new Elishes downtown. So in 1996, I was a freshman in high school, and my English teacher somehow convinced the administration to allow our class to go on a field trip to be extras on the movie set of Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. So apparently my teacher had a friend who was a casting agent, and that's how we all got to be a part of what is considered the worst Three Ninjas movie in the franchise. It has a 0% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, based on six reviews. So we had the park completely to ourselves that day, and it was mostly empty. I remember having to ride the Twister 2 roller coaster over and over with my classmates because they needed different shots of us being happy, scared, and terrified for the movie. All of us were getting so nauseous after riding 10 or 15 times in a row while the production crew kept having to yell at my friend, who was riding next to me, to change his expression because he was trying his hardest to keep a straight face without any emotion just to mess with them. So there was a scene near the end of the movie where Hulk Hogan is battling the bad guys on the ground underneath the Twister 2 roller coaster, where all of my classmates and I were standing in a circle around the battle. And I remember standing on my tippy toes while the camera crew did a couple 360 pan shots of the crowd so that I would be able to see myself when the movie came out. And sure enough, if you pause it during that pan scene, there I am smiling right into the camera. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our informative morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I'm one of those people that feels like inanimate objects have feelings. So maybe this building feels bad the way it gets talked about.